Hey, Roman, can I can I ask you a question? Yes. Are you? Are you revved up for tonight, buddy? Yeah, sure. I am. Yes. I didn't know that was going to work when I was like thinking. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that sound, but it was close enough to what I was going for that I, I, I kept with it. I'm glad you asked him because I haven't seen him sleepier ever. <gasps> oh. well, I, just, I, just ate a, I just ate a whole pizza and now I'm kind of sleepy. What kind of pizza was it, bud? Uh, pepperoni and a shit ton of garlic. Did you add garlic? Oh, and some hot sauce. Welcome to a perfectly sophisticated podcast, episode 197. I thought it would be a good time for a brand change, where every week we intelligently talk about a bunch of the comics that came into our comic shop that week, that week, uh, here in a nice, generally candlelit, certainly um, uh, spaces filled with intention, uh, open vulnerability, you know, sophisticated vulnerability, and uh, we engage in a a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated (laughs) to... The comics that we read, the comic shop that they come through, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Hiff. <laughs> Welcome to your first listening of our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. I hope that 197 is your first episode. I want to talk to the person that 197 is their first episode. Guys, that, that was a weird, that was a weird energy. I was, that was picturing that song playing in the background the whole time. Like, you know, like when, uh, you know, when you have a ringback tone and it expires and then you get that shitty, like string sounding thing, that song yeah. was what I was picturing yeah. playing in, behind that very I sophisticated uh... intro. Stravinsky's Cocktail Party Boring is cocktail. what it's called. Ah, uh, yes, the Cocktail Party. Okay, well, listen, hey, we've got to get back to what we're here to do, which is to talk about the comic books. And the comic books that we're going to talk about this week are, Django, are you ready? Are you revved up as well? <laughs> I'm <laughs> 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 revved oh, That hurt my ear. Yeah, I know. I've got a little bit of a cramp. It's just like a gas pain or a cramp in my belly. So I'm going to work through that. I think it'll be, I, by the end of this podcast, I'm going to be probably on the other side of this cramp and you should on lay other... on your back and like pull your knees up towards your chest i've it's called you gassing you've tricked me into doing this before <laughs> the books that we're going to talk about this week are batman 100 norse mythology number 101 just one actually <laughs> number one yes american ronin number one lost soldiers number three amazing spider-man number 49 Firepower, number four, even though I've registered it internally as number seven all week. And uh, then we're going to do an X-Men scene where we talk uh, about Wolverine, number six, X-Force, number 13, and Marauders, number 13. There were three, three Jango. I hope you are ready. Bad day to have forgotten the pillow. Did My... I forget anything, bro? I don't think you forgot anything. I okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I'm really excited to talk about American Roman. Yeah. Let's you are around. my American Roman. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen, and children of all ages, for the uh, 
fuck shots afterwards. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a. It's gonna. What, I, what I'm looking forward to about it is it's going to be a bit of a hybrid between uh, a buck, like a Django buckshot, and Django's Uber Indie Underground Power Hour. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be Django's Uber Indie Underground Power Buckshot, ninety seconds. I like it. I like it. I, I give it that the ten corns on the cob. It hurts to laugh because of the cramp. You know, I'm going to work through it. <laughs> I need some gas sex or something. But it hurts to laugh. <laughs> okay. We need to talk about Batman 100. And unfortunately, Roman didn't read it. I haven't read Batman. I think the last one I read was 97. So I haven't read 98 and 99. But I figured it's 100. I should jump in here. Roman even said, oh, I'm going to read it. Because it was up issue 100. So I kind of oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're I, like, 100. I got to read it. Uh, I forgot. I, I'm sorry. I forgot that I made that promise. Well, it wasn't a promise. I think the first thing we need to mention, though, is that these uh, double-paged, widespread uh, covers, the front and back gatefold covers uh-huh. like this, they don't work when you've got a spine and you've got a Silver Age spine right? like this. Right. Yeah, you've got a square-bound comic that you have to literally crack in half in order to see the picture. It just, you lose the <laughs> element and yeah. it's not a good... You just, you just cut it at the spine a little bit at the top and bottom, it'll work fine. That's true. Never mind. We're we're big proponents of. Oh my god! I just got so scared that I wasn't recording. We are though. It's all good. Yeah. Is this gold? <laughs> like, can you imagine I, trying you know, to remine this gold? That's what I was going to compare it to. Also, was gold. We're just <laughs> yeah. on the same wavelength, bud. It's the it's I it's this gas pain cramp. <laughs> that's that's how I feel all the time, Jeffrey. So I read this comic after having not read the last two issues and that worked pretty well for me actually i think as i was gearing up for this joker war thing it like it became apparent that it was going to be like a several issues and i do remember just saying like i don't want this the next like six issues so dipping out at 97 this almost picked up it felt like right where i was you know like there's movie theaters and jokers in them and jokers got a costume i guess and yeah, nothing really happened in 98 and 99. It was like Batman working through poison and a couple of like small dumb reveals, I think. I think, uh, I, I don't know, it was just like mayonnaise through my head. I think that it would have felt more like mayonnaise to me if I had been reading every issue, but like giving it six weeks off, oh, uh, ooh, giving it six weeks off made me not resent it as much. You liked it? I, I did. I liked it pretty good. I'm, you know, it, it is unequivocally to me uh like not a top tier book for me it's not 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 in the quality of it but it's just it's not like a book where i'm going to be like you guys need to be reading this and it's not going to become that so this whole time i really was just like this is a very good middle tier book like it's very good at being that and i don't blame it for being that and i also you know was trying to negotiate like that i have an amount of resentment towards this book just because of like things that are not james tinian's fault which is Mm -hmm you know, that, that it came out and kind of prematurely seems like it ended Tom King's run. And that's not this book's fault. So it's gorgeous. I love the Jorge Jimenez art. He, you know, he's been great since doing Justice League, No Justice. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was great at all. But I, you know, it's, it was a fine Batman story. And I skipped because 98 and 99, I think, were the ones that had more Joker sitting by a pool drinking martinis in a bathing right. suit. Like, I'm I'm happy to, you know, that can almost just be a thing that d- doesn't exist in my head. I, uh, I've been keeping up with the series. I've begrudgingly read the last two issues. And uh, this one did not stick the landing for me. It, 
feels I could I could probably tear this whole thing apart ruthlessly in a fairly amusing way, but I don't think that's fair to the artists who worked on this book. Um, like the color, <clears throat> like the artists, like the drawers. You, I, okay, I, not. I'm not including James Tinian on that because I, I, I'm super disappointed that this is what he decided to do with his Batman run, which is set up this thing, make fun of Tom King's run, and then reset everything back to where it was minus a couple of buildings at the end. Because like Joker's on the loose, he's clearly not dead. No, nothing has changed by the end of this. Was, was this issue supposed to be the end of the Joker war? This yeah, is the end the of the finale. Joker war. Oh, okay. I thought that was going to go on for months. I guess well, it, it has. has. It kind of did, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it felt like an episode of Friends where at the end, maybe somebody else is dating somebody else. But other than that, everybody lives in the same place. Everybody has the same jobs. Everybody is exactly like they haven't even bought a new fucking shirt. Well, it's worth mentioning <laughs> that if you were watching Friends, it only was to see if somebody was going to be in a different relationship by the end of the episode. So like, you right. know, that's right. if you were watching, that's why I was there. Right. Were they, will they, <laughs> won't they? Okay. So like, I don't think nope, we should. They didn't again. Friends wasn't aspiring to do anything larger than that. It was just, you know, like, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to put friends in the James Tinney and the fourth Batman box. No, but James Tinney and the fourth put Batman into friends. Well, by, it definitely, by having put, a fucking it definitely took a book story. I loved and moved it to the friend zone. It, it was a 15 issue uh, story that did nothing yeah. in the long run and, and, and did nothing in, for me, a fairly uninteresting way. Yeah, um, the I art was great, like you said, but that's the only good thing I think I can say about it. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like Grant Morrison did a Batman run that I love a lot, but right before it and right after it, there were not good Batman stories coming out by just generic mm -hmm. writers and artists. And that is just a thing, you know, like you've got to yeah. have the cement between the bricks, you know, like there's good stories. At I think we just got a really good one in the form of Tom King. And, you know, this is this is that thing that's got to come out until something else really good comes along. But I do feel a little bit like I'm being told like, no, people love this. You're, this is very good, Jeff. You people love yeah. this. No. And I'm like, I, I don't believe that, but th that is, you know, like, again, a resentment I have about the book. That's really not the book's fault. There's just like a weird amount of stuff that, it, I, yeah, I feel like I'm getting, getting like brave new world or something of you know, like, <laughs> You're like, no, it's very good, right? You think it's very good, right? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, did you read any of the backup stories or two of them in there? Yeah, I did. I read one of them. I didn't read the first one I about the clown hunter kid, but I did read <laughs> the the one where Joker is in the restaurant and he talks to right. the person and has the punchline video at the end. I thought that was pretty good. I, I thought that was okay. I thought that the clown hunter discussion that Batman had was one of the best things to come out of the last 15 issues. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's good um, to hear. I shouldn't have skipped those eight pages or so. Yeah. I, I, it looked wordy and boring, but it was um, for me the most thoughtful thing that I've read in a Batman book in a little while. Nice. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. So, yeah. What yeah, do you give, what do you give the, it? Gosh, this issue, give it like a six. And I think I would put his run so far at a six. Like, I'm dying to like it, 
but it is just not very good. I will give it a 6.5. I think all of the things that you said, but having not read it for several issues, it was kind of nice to just be like, cool, Batman. Hey, Roman. <laughs> did you read Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell and Mike McNoll and Jerry Ordway? Norse Mythologist. <laughs> North Misogynists. North, North Misogynists. <laughs> I read this book because fucking Roman. Um <clears throat> Well, no, I started, I was like going to read it because of Roman. And then I opened it and then the art is what got me through it. It's got but beautiful art. It's got beautiful art, except for I didn't read the Jerry Ordway stuff. Sorry, Roman. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Roman. It's, 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 a, it's a quick read. Um, it was a quick read. That's also what got me through it. Pretty art and not like laborious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, right away, you know, mythology, Neil Gaiman, P. Craig Russell, Mike Minolia. Of course, I'm going to love it. And I did. The end. Django, did you read it? No. I, I need a lot of people telling me a lot of good things about a Neil Gaiman book at this point because they, they all have kind of blurred together in my mind. Well, so I do like P. Craig Russell, though. Yeah, and Meg Mignola. Like, yeah, so, like it's got a shot. So Nor Norse Mythology is a hardcover book that Neil Gaiman put out. And... Yes. I don't know if it is just a collection of him colloquializing or collecting and retelling Norse mythology stories, or is it a narrative it, or fiction? It's, uh, well, it's kind of all of those. It's uh, but yeah, basically it's a <clears throat> him retelling like the big, the most well-known Norse myths. And is it framed in any certain way, or is it just a book mm. that's like here's a here's fifteen? No, yeah, it's just him and telling the myths. Um, okay. So and so this comic is, and I don't know if they did this comic after that, after that book, or if these are various adaptations he had done over the years with different creators that appeared in different magazines and comics. Are you telling me that this is not new material? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Okay. Because 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 <sighs> him, he's worked with these artists in right. a, in a lot of times in different <clears throat> over the years. And they've done mythology before adaptations. Neil Gaiman did mythology adaptations. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> Quiet, well, you. I loved what I read. Um, and yeah, I just didn't know exactly what this was going to be and what yeah. exactly the book of the same name was. So I wasn't sure if there's like an overarching narrative that is like, you know, a bunch of people at a bar telling the story of these Norse myths or something. Or is it just as something like, bam, chapter one is this story. Chapter two is this story. Yep, straight up Norse myths, um, the classic Norse myths adapted by these great comic book creators. Three of them in this issue. Um, the one about, about Odin gaining wisdom um, and giving up his eye at, at Mimir's well. And then the story about, um, oh, and the basics just kind of of the whole Asgardian Norse cosmology is the first story. Well, I, what I was really impressed with was how well they took, like when we were talking about X-Men 12 and then an mm -hmm. amount of like X-Men creation, Ten of Swords, and Django had said it felt a little bit like reading a D&D &D manual. Yeah. And <laughs> I spent, you know, about an hour and a half yesterday reading D&D &D manuals because I was remaking my character sheet. Um, Did you just pretend that Hickman wrote them? I don't have to. I like D&D &D manuals. Um, but I, I, that that idea has stayed with me. I think it's like an important idea because 
how because a lot of times that is what something is like here is a bunch of information i need to give to you Mm -hmm. and and how well someone can make it feel like you're reading a textbook versus Mm. novelly engaging in this information speaks to the quality of the writing and i was really impressed by like as i got like three pages into this first story by p craig russell and and gaiman that is kind of the overarching cosmology that chroma said that on the one hand it is like it like D &D manual stuff It's, it's straight up just like feels like paragraphs right out of that but the the how dense the text was or was not and how beautiful the art was and how much of the storytelling was done by the art like really made the amount of information that was being dumped into me feel like uh effortless mm-hmm. and i also felt like i understood it really well for how like little information was there so i was really impressed that like they so fluidly taught me these fundamental aspects of like the norse mythology like the the world tree which is a thing i encounter with thor stuff all the time but have never really had a great map of or understanding of yeah yeah and and p craig russell and he's such an amazing artist like you say when they introduce because it is it is a pretty straightforward info dump here that here are the names the important characters this is kind of what their function is but when he describes the squirrel at the at the base of the world tree i've heard uh, you talk about that squirrel ratatosk who comes up in uh unbeatable squirrel girl um they get i love the panel where it just shows ratatosk kind of on a rock talking to this talking to the eagle and the eagle's got a word balloon with an exclamation point because Rad Tosk is telling him some lies about the dragon making fun of the eagle and it just sets up the whole Rad Tosk, okay, he's a mischief maker and he causes, pro- causes problems. And then there's no dialogue or story about that. There's just this one panel and he so clearly portrays, okay, this is Rad Tosk's function. Yeah. In one yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and that by its very nature, I think is really impressive. Just like info, info, take it, you know, yeah. it, um, yeah, gorgeous story, and and I hope Justin read this. This was an Odin story about sacrificing his eye for wisdom. Well, um, yeah, and that came up in that other podcast we did just just yesterday. Well, it also came up yeah. in Batman number one hundred this week, where the Joker sacrifices his eye. Oh wait, no, it didn't. Never mind, <laughs> it didn't matter. The Joker, nothing in that issue mattered. <laughs> the Joker didn't gain wisdom and become like Metron or something. <clears throat> God, Jenna, that was cool. some of your best facial acting I've ever seen you do. Just that, like, <laughs> your, your deadpan realization that it didn't have anything to do. I was like, dang, that's good acting. <laughs> I'm working on subtlety, Jeff. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, the, the third story um, that you haven't read yet, Jeff, that's the story. And I, I was surprised. It only gets halfway through the story, and then it's to be continued in the next issue. But it's the story about how Loki just to you know cause some mischief and he says it's because he was drunk um sneaks into thor and sif's bedroom in the middle of the night and cuts off all her hair oh so of course thor gets really pissed and attacks loki and makes him go to the dwarves to uh, make sif new hair and of course loki sets like the dwarves against each other to cause some more mischief and one of the dwarves at Eitri, who was in the movie that peter dinklage played okay um and that's to be continued Huh. And that's the Jerry Ordway drawn story. It's to be continued just like all of the, uh, all of Scheherazade's stories, which these are based on, right? 
I hope that <laughs> the, all of them are continued in that way because I would be happy to get a more P. Craig Russell just overview of the sort of Asgardian superstructure or, you know, or just if the, yeah. the North, North mythology structure because I, I liked that. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot too because when I was a kid, it was Greek and Norse mythology are the first mythologies I ever got into before I, even before I ever read a Thor comic. Um, so I have, a, I have a real soft spot in my heart for Norse mythology. Um, I will give it a, I have to give it a 10. Oh my gooey duck. I loved it. <laughs> oh God, it's writhing. Why is it writhing? I read the first two stories twice. Oh, wow. They, I mean, they're, they're quick and they're beautiful. And I'm not as drawn yeah. to Jerry Ordway's art, but those first two are like, it's Mike Mignola art, but it's not Hellboy. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I was never thinking, oh, this is in the Hellboy universe. Oh, no, right. it's not. <laughs> um, I'd give it like a 7.5 or an 8. I'll go 8. It's like a chewy duck. <laughs> That's a Wookiee. I found a Wookiee in the sand. <laughs> Um, okay, Django, I've thought a lot about a conversation we had about American Ronin, and we need to talk about it now. Yes. Yeah, we should have just fucking recorded that. Yeah, we should have. Well, no, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't read it yet, but right. I thought about it a lot. Right. Was it about American Ronin from AWA yes. by Peter yeah. Milligan, Aiko, David Lorenzo, and your pal, Dean White? You need to acknowledge the American Roman Ronin thing. Django, he looked up expectingly after saying what, like two or three times after saying the title, and you didn't look at him at all. And we just we have to acknowledge it. Doesn't, it. it doesn't matter. I'll just keep on doing it. Yep. <laughs> well, let's talk about American Roman. Yes. <laughs> oh, Roman, that's good. <laughs> uh, by A-W-A. Um, I love it in W. He does. The American Roman loves A and W root beer his favorite root beer he's not a barks guy um, I, got the, I got hives once there the only time i've ever had hives in my life was from a and w oh my gas pain hurts when you do that i wasn't ready for that roman pain. i didn't know what it was because i never had it before i was like oh my god mike what's going on what, what's this on my hand oh man oh man um wow was i think this okay. is maybe just the second AWA book that I've read. I think I read Devil's Highway number one, and I read Year Zero. Yeah, and I I feel like oh I read I guess I read Grendel Kentucky. I think they oh yeah we both pretty did, good yeah. comics. I think so. I was very suspicious of them, and yeah. they seem to have put out good comics for the most part so far. It's that logo. It looks like it belongs on a shampoo bottle or something. Yeah, I think anything that I associate with shampoo, I associate with suave shampoo, and I all know that, that that's just cheap shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see the logo. Oh, man. Okay. He just showed, oh, okay, I thought you meant the logo for the book, and he just showed American oh, yeah, Ron. Says... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my cramp is really hurting when I laugh. This is a bad... It's a bad look for a comedy podcast. Okay, so we got to. So Aiko is the artist on this. And Wait, this is comedy. We are. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Take that out. Um, so Aiko is the artist on this book, and that is crazy because Aiko did the art in a book called Nick Fury like three years ago, and mm -hmm. we really liked the art in that book. 
um, and we really liked that artist. And I don't know if they've done anything else, but like the name has stood out to Django and I. We were excited to see that they were doing the art in this book particularly. And the art in Nick Fury was like neon and like flat neon and like reminiscent of like Steranko shield type stuff. Like I think it was clearly going yeah. for that, but it, very poppy and overwhelming, frankly, for me. So I ended up not reading the series, but just l- looking through the art every issue. And like, and it was of, gorgeous. It was gorgeous, but it was just like chaotic. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. um, so they're back doing this book with a different writer and it is a different colorist. It's Dean White, who I love, who just, just to like have a conversation about the art, which is what I've been thinking about of it. I feel like, yeah, the coloring, I feel like what we loved about Echo's art was benefited by the coloring that was on it before. And I don't feel like this coloring really benefited the Echo art from the perspective of what we liked about it before. But I do think it was easier to take in yeah and understand in this comic if not a little less exciting yeah that's kind of where i landed on it too is just like this is still really skilled and graphic design wise like the the page flow is interesting and kind of fun to follow and he's doing cool things with panel layouts but i didn't enjoy the art in this one as much as i did on the nick fury series that that he had that crazy psychedelic sort of yeah. coloring style. But I love <laughs> the coloring in this. Yeah, it's it's great coloring. It just it it looks almost like a totally different artist. It looks like because of it. Kind of like Russell Dowderman to yeah. me. Like this double page spread particularly with the woman like at the very end when the woman's been assassinated and and there's a, a guy in there. Like that looks like unrushed Dowderman. Yeah. And yeah. I was surprised that that was like the cocktail combination of Eco and Dean White. So anyway, I've been thinking a lot about that as I was reading this. What is this book about? This book is about uh, a guy who's kind of using some sort of, I don't know if he's got a power or if he's just using uh, kind of psychological trickery to try to get this rich dirtbag to kill himself. And he spends the whole issue kind of setting this guy up to... Um, to jump out of a window and and then there's a woman with tigers and she gets stabbed and she humiliates the rich guy in the middle and there's a big conspiracy this was the first book that i read this week and i I can't remember anything else about it but i remember having a very a very pleasant aftertaste when i finished it like yeah there's like this type of person called a ronin and there's not many of them left and from what we can gleam our protagonist is one of those and it is some thing technology in his brain that he has Mm -hmm. been given by this company who now he's got kind of a vendetta against this company but what it does is it allows him to if he can take any amount of dna from a person and inject it into his body um he then absorbs all of their memory and experiences and like feels their existence so he's using that basically for some uh, corporate espionage hitman stuff in this. Yeah, and it's it's this this is the perfect kind of story for Peter Milligan because it's pretty straightforward, except you know, like it's it's just a uh, kind of a, an industrial espionage story, except he's got these this this weird little sideways thing that he's he's playing with in there. And I'm not that's, familiar super with Milligan, but that sounds right in my readings yeah. of him. He did a great run on Hellblazer. 
Um, and he, he did, did ecstatics. Um, he did ecstatics. He did. He's done a handful of things for like um, Avatar when they were doing sort of uh, sci-fi books. He okay. had he had a couple of those. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of his stuff. I think that the plot wasn't super interesting to me, but the art I thought was gorgeous. I really liked the art. Yeah. But it is weird to have been getting a, a different thing out of it than what I was expecting to get from it. I would give American Ronin number one. I think an eight. I think I liked it an eight. Yes, final answer. Eight. I think the I Ocho. Give, I think I would give it a 7.5. You know, and yeah. I think that tracks, right? I think if between the two of us, I'm a little less into corporate espionage stories. Yeah, stay away from Peter Milligan. I, I just don't think that guy's up here, eh? Well, I really liked Ecstatics. Um, Lost Soldiers number three. Okay. Mm. Roman, it's a fucking travesty that you're not reading this book. <laughs> I, I, I will read it. Two and three. I read number one. Let's talk about number one. We already did. We did two you months were here. ago. Yeah, let's, let's, I was here. Let's revisit it. Because <laughs> that's the only um, one I know anything about. And we talked about number two. And now number three is here. And I'm sorry, guys. I just got lost on it. <laughs> Roman is fucking feisty tonight and it makes me randy frankly <laughs> um, this follows up immediately after the sequence in issue 2 where our two old vet brothers are doing this trade off in Mexico and they see the dude from <laughs> Vietnam that was in their platoon that was horrible and and who raped. did something mysterious to them i think it's a rape i think he raped him did he did they say that explicitly because no justin and i and you justin all said that to me that. justin said that to me and when he said that i was like oh and i read it and the narration on top of what was happening in the issue then suddenly made a lot of sense it does not okay. say that but as soon as justin said that i was i I, th I think he's right about that. You guys and your reading context clues. <clears throat> it it was a good read on his part for sure, and I you know I think it's one of the only things that could be so horrible as to yeah. make him have this lifelong resentment towards the dude. But the first half of this issue is this horrible shootout fight, and it's, it has the dude who was raped with the, the rapist has a horribly graphic fight scene, all the while having this like repetitive repetitive narration that seems to be coming from the voice of the spirit of primal violence like mm -hmm. the, the the voice of that which drives people to do horrible things which is why like it's roman it's vietnam and then like ideological narration by you know personified evil in a just like a really disturbing amazing way and then the like the last half of this is like the fallout of that fight scene where both of our dudes have gotten out of the sequence and they have this like really pretty heartbreaking and disturbing conversation. They break that, up with each other like they're lifelong friends. Yeah, but also like we learn that the dude <laughs> like has like gotten divorced, his wife and kids left him, and he's just got like shell shock PTSD bad and the other dude's been going to therapy for years and is doing better, but uh, there's a lot of repeated images in the artwork and it, it's really pretty profoundly effective at conveying the like 
trapped existence that this dude is living in the shadow of his time in the war uh it's it's incredible and the art's astounding and yeah wowza 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 can't wait to talk about issue number four when roman has read two and three because i think he's gonna love it and i just can't wait to hear his thoughts it sounds like a great book violence in comics rarely makes me squeamish yeah and and this was this was like the comic book version of the Eastern Promises fight, like where, where Viggo Mortensen's fighting naked in the sauna and everything's clumsy and, and hard and painful. And like, there's no, there's no romance to this fight. Is and most everything of the time, hard? No, no, but he's naked and, and having to defend himself naked, which sounds like one of the worst things in the world to me. Um, Never heard of that movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and and the fight scene fun. is just like, fuck, this is not fun at all. And, you know, usually movies will exaggerate a fight scene and, and make it more exciting or more more interesting or more romantic. But this one's just like dudes, even down to like slapping each other to try to to try to move each other into different directions and stuff. Like, you and that's how this... could have done to manipulate that to make it a little more exciting. Would be to just toss, that, a couple, toss a couple boners in there. You know, just... <laughs> Make that fight in the sauna happen, but toss a couple bone daddies and just let us like let's just see that happen. You don't see a lot of bone daddies in like a jujitsu scene, you know. Guys, I I I can't keep it up. Do you mind if we just do this scene flaccid? I think the character <laughs> no. was flaccid. No, <laughs> no, they had to like continually stop filming to like pull him off to the side to re re-erect whisper, the tower. Whisper Russian insults in his ear so yeah. he could <laughs> humiliate them. Um, sorry, you were you're making a point though. The first half of this issue was the same thing, where <laughs> <laughs> was it now? Just a, it was just a couple of boners <laughs> flopping around. It sorry. just wasn't it just wasn't romantic or fun violence at all. There was nothing where you're like, oh, that's an interesting way to beat the fuck out of somebody. It just looked like everything hurt. It looked like two old men doing their best to hurt each other and and i I thought that that was really really well done to to give me an issue where like i'm wincing at the comic book fighting without exploding heads or or eyeballs falling out or no it's i all all the shit that i love about comic book violence this had none of it and i totally happy issue totally agree and then similarly the like when he gets to his house and you see the devastating state of his house and that he's yeah. just let his life go. And then you get this like textless flashback of him with his life. And uh, just like, that was what got me. I was like, no, um, well, it's, it's the same, like the, the conversation that he and his buddy have and the situation that he's in is the same kind of thing where it's not overblown or romantic. It's just like, first I got the fuck kicked out of me and now I go back to my house and it sucks to be here because everything is awful. And they, they uh, I don't want to say they dwell on it, but they don't move the camera for long enough that you can kind of get in, in his house and live yeah. with them for seven or eight or nine or 10 pages. 9.5. Really give it a nine. I, yeah. And Justin like texted me. He's like, have you read this yet? And I had <clears> not, and I haven't talked to him about it yet, but he doesn't do that super often. So I think mm-hmm. he's also given it a pretty high score if I had to guess. Um before I knew that the quote in the, on the inside cover was from Lost Highway, 
I read the first three lines and I was like, God, that sounds like David Lynch. I had the same thought. Um, <laughs> okay, boys, can you talk to me about Amazing Spider-Man 49, which also seems to somehow be 850, but they also then, I guess, let them celebrate a number 50 next time. <laughs> Pretty slick. Pretty smooth, Pretty Marvel. Slick. More spined books. Yeah, this is this is a really long book. And I haven't read every... I haven't read all 849, I mean, um, 48 issues leading up to this. Uh, but this issue is mostly Spider-Man and Green Goblin teaming up to fight Sin Eater Juggernaut without a helmet while all of Spider-Man's spider family Astral projects to watch them and argue about whether they should help Spider-Man or not. Wow, that summation is more interesting than I remember the issue being. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that the issue just felt like we were going around in circles. It's like Spider-Man's telling Green Goblin not to be a dick, and then Green Goblin isn't a dick, and then Spider-Man tells him to keep not being a dick, and then he is a dick. And it just kind of yeah. like went in circles. And the the I have really enjoyed the amazing spider-man run so far but i thought that this issue was kind of weak in the main story in the end the way that they trap juggernaut is by using like a like a science thing to liquefy the concrete and then trap him like liquefy yeah. it and then unliquefy it like liquefaction yeah. is what they use but spidey doesn't seem to be hamstrung by it at all like all of the physics in, in the end there didn't make any goddamn sense to me yeah and it's based on some previous time when spider-man fought 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 juggernaut he um he that's how he that's how he beat him kind of by accident is trapping okay. him in in wet cement you and, do and, know there's an r there it's juggernaut yeah juggernaut okay juggernaut juggernaut <laughs> um except except and actually that's not actually kane marco that's sin eater except he's in the last issue he absorbed he shot juggernaut and gained and gained his powers okay so that's why he doesn't have the helmet because he doesn't actually have his helmet he just has his power and shape and and what is the deal with his gross head is that what juggernaut's head looks like no but i guess that's what it looks like when like a normal well not normal when whatever sin eater is mm -hmm. when somebody else absorbs his power but doesn't have the the gem of sidorak to to like keep it from turning you into a misshapen freak okay can you confirm for me that you're pronouncing sidorak correctly because it's you're pronouncing not sidorak pronouncing correctly okay no, um okay. okay i'll hey listen guys you, you i'll step it? in here Okay. He's okay. He's cool. He's with okay. me. Thanks, Jeff. It's cool. I, yes. I, I can mis I can mis mispronounce Sidorak too. Sitorarak. Guys, Thank it's you. chill. He's with me. Guys, <laughs> it's cool. He's with me. Um, he rides with me. I thought I was confused a few times in this issue because also at the end I think maybe Spidey throws Osborne out of out of their ship maybe just to get away from him. I don't think that he killed him but I wasn't totally sure. That was a confusing scene because it, he had like Spidey had some kind of moral dilemma. <sighs> and then I felt like he just like 
let Norman go, which I thought, well, that's stupid. I, that doesn't seem in character. He just kind of like gave up. I was like, ah, well, I'm not going to worry about it. What? This is Norman Osborn, you idiot. You have to worry about it. Yeah, and you just spent 350 or so pages fighting with him in the basement of Ravencroft where he's been building an evil villain lair. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Why, why let him go? <laughs> yeah, it didn't make sense. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe maybe it would have been better for me if if I had read all of the last forty eight issues, um, but this one just didn't didn't quite land for me. No, yeah, it didn't for me. And I think I've read those issues. And mm-hmm. like you, I was enjoying the Sin Eater storyline until this issue. Okay. And then it was yeah. the big showdown. I was like, well, that that's it. What? Uh... <laughs> Did you read the backup stories? I did one was about the vulture's granddaughter and the other was one was saladin ahmed and aaron, aaron cooter wrote that one yeah and i like the art i didn't really think the story was it's setting something up for future issues but i didn't really care yeah um the trad moore story was awesome yeah the trad moore story is gorgeous i i didn't read it but every time i every time i look at it now i i think i should take the 10 minutes it would take for me to read those pages yeah it's, it's <clears throat> crazy and beautiful it involves like a, a a mystical wizard dog that spider-man kind of teams up with in a way and i forget what they do but but it was fun and it, it's he's doing the um kind of the new world art style which he doesn't yeah. always do and it's colored similar to that book which i i appreciated yeah and then the other one was Kurt Busick and uh, Chris Bacala. Did you read that? <clears throat> I did read that. And I don't remember being <laughs> impressed with it at all. I, it felt like, I don't remember what it's about, but it felt like it was just kind of a like little quick joke story. Okay. Yeah, I, it was too many words for me. And <laughs> even though I like both those guys, I had already read a lot of Spider-Man that night. Yeah. What do you give it? Oof, overall, um, six because of the Trad Moore story. If it wasn't for the Trad Moore story, it would get a five. Wow. Wow. I'm going to give it a six and a half because of the art in the Trad Moore story. And I, I do like Brian Otley's art in the rest of it. But mm, yeah. I would have I hoped to give a landmark issue like that a lot more than six and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, me too. You guys... The Green uh, Goblin is the coolest looking character. Like top three all time for me. I really? God oh yeah. I it is and like I think Ryan Otley draws him great in here. Then uh, mm-hmm. it switches to Humberto Ramos art. I don't care for the way that Humberto Ramos portrays him, but just watching that elfy motherfucker. <laughs> oh my god i just love the green goblin he's so he just <laughs> top three villains i could tell you hey, hey i could tell you my top three villains right now yeah what, what are the other two you? yeah um dr doom okay green goblin mm-hmm. and uh fuck <laughs> which I'm forgetting one there's an obvious third dang it reed Sorry, richards guys. no Hey, Doc Ock is way up there, though. Let's be real. Oh, God, man. I was telling Sam about how much I love Doc Ock today. Okay, listen, we've got really important shit to get down to, and it's this <laughs> X-Men thing. Django, you would have been furious this week. Oh, um, because 
Ten of Swords had three issues that came out. Wolverine number six, X-Force number 13. Jesus, that's a lot of them. Marauders number 13. Wow. X- Wolverine and X-Force, which are parts three and four, were both written by Ben Percy because he writes both of those series. Mm-hmm. And then Victor Bogdanovic, who's been doing the art in Wolverine, did the art in both of those issues. Nice. And I love his art. It looks like Greg Capullo to me, but I like it more than Greg Capullo. It's pretty 90s out, but it's I don't understand why people don't have the reverence for him that they have for Greg Capullo. I guess he's he awesome. do Spawn, but I love the art. Um, but this is... <laughs> Poor Victor. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he's great. Um, this is this is like straight up what I was like. What I don't really care to read is going to be we've got to have this ch- tournament in Dragon Ball Z. They, there's several different times they have to have tournaments, and it's fine, but they have to have these tournaments. Uh, in this, they have to have this tournament. There's going to be ten good guys and ten bad guys, and they all have to have these fucking swords. So I was like, I hope we just don't get like seven issues of people going out and needing to find their sword <laughs> and then come back and. Wolverine and X-Force were the story, two issues of the story of Wolverine going to get his sword and Marauders 13, which I do not know how many pages were in it, but it has to have been, or to count it, it's a a larger than a normal issue, is Storm going to get her sword and they're all meeting up back at this like spot on Krakoa where they're standing there with their swords and it's very cool. It's like like that uh, TV show where you get kicked off the island. Yeah, but the opposite, because they just keep showing up with swords, in fact. That thing at the end cracks me up, because, I mean, it's just like the end of a video game. They show up in the circle, get in their circle with their sword, and then just apparently stand there for a month. (laughs) Three days is how long they have. Oh, okay. okay. Um, There is some really cool stuff and some not very cool stuff. (laughs) And... I agree. And they could have just said, hey, you have to have 10 champions. And we're going to have 10 champions. But uh, one thing that has happened is this this dude has been introduced. And he's from Araco. Solemn. Solemn. And he killed the husband of war, who is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse who are apocalypse's children. And they're the ones leading the assault from Araco to Krakoa. And he's responsible for killing her husband. And as such, he was banished to spend an eternity in the bottom of this hole. And apparently he's got to be one of their champions. So they've recruited him and he ends up having an adventure with Wolverine in hell to get hell, like Wolverine's Muramasa blade. And was that just um, because they couldn't get to Sabretooth who was buried in a hole in the beginning? They needed to needed. Yeah. You know, they needed needed something about this character. Um, Roman, did you read Marauders? No, I read the other two. Okay. Marauders was more boring art, but better. It is written by Vita Ayala, who has not been writing Marauders, but it is, it's Storm, the blade that she's supposed to get is this blade that in Wakandan culture is like the first weapon that they had forged and, and used. And it's vibranium and it's held with deep reverence within their culture. So it's mostly her trying to talk um, T'Challa's mom and Shuri into letting her take this blade, which like they can't do unless they have T'Challa's permission, but he's away, so they have to like wait, but she doesn't have the time to wait, since she has to like steal his sword. But there's this really great like six-page conversation between Storm and Shuri where like they used to be sisters, they still hold each other in really high esteem, but like 
Storm is trying to take the sword and Shuri wants to give it to her, but she's like, but we just can't. Like our culture wouldn't be able to do that. Like it's, it would send everything into upheaval. Like I can't give you this sword it's too, uh, without Shala's permission. So it's this, for, it's just an amazing way for people to, to disagree and still hold each other in high esteem. I was really impressed with the writing by Vita Ayala there. And ultimately Stan, Storm steals the sword and then while she's escaping, T'Challa shows up and he's like, all right, you can take it, but you're being kind of a butthole. And she's like, I know, but I got to do this. So we've got three X-Men with swords. We've spent a lot of time doing it. We are five of 22 chapters in Django and we've got several people with swords. And that's where cool. we're at. Um, do they explain why Wolverine would need a sword? Um, yeah, because there's a- Because there's, of the rules. Yeah, the rules and the blades, there's certain swords that they need. Do you think he's going to break it down and shove it into his knuckle swords? Oh, that would be really cool. No, it's like Muramasa who made the sword that can kill adamantium people because this guy like forges them in hell and bonds people's souls to them. Hmm. Sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're reading it. But what she was doing before, before he ended up in hell somehow. Yeah. Um, what, so what you, this is still going really very, very, very well. I'm, I'm just <laughs> glad that you're enriching my life by keeping me up to date. I need to make stories. sure you know what's going on, bud. I, I'm going to jump back in afterwards. Do you I, feel like you know what's going on? Sorry, Roman. Yeah. It's like a video game. Okay. Roman, what yeah. were you going to say? Yeah. No, I'm glad too. Cause I, I didn't read that Marauders issue. Cause I, I looked at it and flipped through it and I was like, ah, too many, too many words, too many pages. A lot of words, but, but I do think that you would like it. Really? Cause yeah. I, cause I read the, the other two and I did like the issue of Wolverine. I really like this new character, Solemn. Yeah. He's, he's really cool. He's, he's got amantium, well, skin covering. So Wolverine can't pierce it. Um, and he's really charming and yep. super intelligent. And he just, if, if I was a maybe immortal guy with adamantium skin, I would want to be this guy. And he's, yeah. immo he's amoral and <laughs> very funny. I think Immortal that, like, and amoral. Yeah. The, the overarching thing that they're doing here of like, you've got three days before this tournament, like it's happened in Dragon Ball Z. I've had this story. Oh. I, don't, I don't like this story. But like Ben Percy, I've loved what he's written in X-Force and Wolverine. And those mm -hmm. two issues were very good. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of wonder if this particular story was something that uh, Hickman really wanted to do. Like if X-Men has been leading to this or if this is just a really good way to do a, a huge crossover. Because they're, the X-Books, I don't want to say they bloated because it felt pretty organic for the most part but they put out x-men and then a whole lot of other books came out so to involve all the x characters in anything it's it's got to be something like this yeah i, I, I cross it over with all the books i think that there is some fundamental elements like apocalypse the arako krokoa dynamic and where mm -hmm. this is going to end are things that he wanted and I think that all of this tournament stuff and getting the swords and the tarot and all of those, I think all of that and what's happening with the people finding their swords and shit, I think that's all stuff that other people have made up. It's like I, reading the Night of the Owls stuff in Nightwing and Batgirl. Like, it's not critical to the story. Right, exactly. But there are, 
but they <clears throat> are also then threading important things into it that's sort of like you right. feel like you need to be reading it but you just spent most of an issue following a character doing their own thing that right but roman i mean you bring up a good point like i am in, i am enjoying it and i think that you would like marauders from like a cross-cultural psychology perspective it's it's yeah. just it becomes this conversation of like yeah i think that you're right but you need to understand how this looks from this side of things and they work really hard to illustrate respectfully how they can respect an alternative like person like yeah point of view and and i was really impressed with how well that was done and i think it's like the first time i've really been struck by like vita yala's writing being something i was impressed by um so i would give wolverine and x-force because that really is just same writer same artist one big story i'd give that thing um a seven and i would give marauders also a seven the writing was better in marauders than the art was and then the wolverine stuff just had really gorgeous art, like 90s gorgeous art you're in hell metal skeletons climbing out of fire pits and shit i would give the whole thing so far a 22 you give it a 22 so uh, far 22 out of 10 okay i feel like i'm doing a good job then i call it a two-y duck Ooh. a two-y duck i think i'd give the uh wolverine and x-force issues together i don't know a, a six i did i did really like the art and i like that new character i actually really hate wolverine's healing factor being so good that somehow his skeleton can climb out of lava and a few panels later he's back to being wolverine yeah um, that's just too ridiculous for me My like give me some goddamn tendons yeah yeah i mean how can you heal from bone <laughs> adamantium and bone <laughs> I, 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 it, it makes him too. It makes him too invulnerable. <laughs> I'm with you. I thought, is he able to easily function as just a metal skeleton? And then I thought, no, we're in like hell here. We've got like mystical elements are going on. Is what I was thinking. But I, it also, I stopped and had to create a pattern, a, a reason for it. Yeah, exactly. Well, so it I, took I, me I, out of it. Yeah, I miss the old days and the burn Claremont. Fucking run a where, man, me where, too. Preach it. Where, where, yeah, Wolverine would get like really messed up and then he'd be like in bed for a week healing because he couldn't just instantly heal amen fucking amen (laughs) fucking amen fucking amen (laughs) (laughs) um okay Django. i think is there anything else on the docket besides firepower i would like to do a buckshot jeffrey oh i gotta set a timer for you i'll set the timer i'll set the timer because well roman and i are going to talk about firepower not in a buckshot way so but i'm going to time you for your buckshot right now okay um but it hasn't started yet (laughs) hasn't started yet (coughs) roman do you have covid Uh, probably oh darn (laughs) um i'm not gonna get tested get it uh i read bang number something or other um and it is pretty awesome it follows a hercule perot uh old lady who is a a mystery solver and she realizes that she had when she was young she had adventures with the main character but he was white and a different person than the black guy that's telling her that they're old friends and they both start kind of putting together some of their mystery black widow number two um this is kelly thompson the art is amazing the the story is great i never would have guessed that i would love 
a Black Widow series, but so far I'm really digging that one. Wow. Uh, I also read Spy Island number two, which is, I think, even better than the first issue. We get a little more story. We get more just completely absurd um, discussion about what's going on on this island. Uh, we meet the lady's dad. Uh, the design on this book is super solid. Uh, I also read Adventure Man number four. Never thought I would get four issues into uh, Dodson uh, homage to Doc Savage, but I'm still super digging that. And I jumped into American Vampire 1976 with number one, um, Scott Snyder, Raphael Albuquerque. I really like this. It's great. The dude has a buried train car that he stole for a hideout. And, uh, oh, that's it. They're so much shorter than I remembered. Dude, I need, I need more about American Vampire. I'm super excited to read that. Loved what I've read of the older series. Uh, yeah. It came out in short mini series. I read the first two or three and then some of the tie-ins. Uh, it's great. It's great. It follows Skinner years. Sweet. Skinner Sweet, who is one of the main characters yep. from before. And he's a human now instead of a vampire but okay. he's kind of a thrill junkie. So he is, he's basically evil Knievel. Um, the, the whole opening scene is him riding a motorcycle through swinging chainsaws and up over a ramp through a flaming loop over, uh, over a pile of gas and having to shoot a target in order to lower the spikes or he'll die. And he's not immortal. Is like, I think that they reveal that halfway through that. He's like, mm. oh, well now that I'm human, if I miss this shot, I'll die. And he's kind of got a death wish. I don't remember reading the the miniseries where that one happened, but yeah, I don't I don't remember that either. But I I didn't read the whole American Vampire story. I read the bulk of the, the original. And uh, there's there's this dude who's got like really, he's he's a vampire hunter. He's got chops and cool guy glasses and a nice bowling shirt. But he uh, he's just killing zombies on the dance floor, uh, in a, in a disco hall, and it's it's great. If, There's an albino alligator, Jeff. That, and that's very good. If people don't know anything about American Vampire, because it's been probably six years, I feel like, since there was an American Vampire series. Um, it's what Scott Snyder really first did in comics before any of his Batman yeah. stuff. And, and I would say you could jump on here. Yeah, and that's all of the miniseries you could do that. There was like a sort of yeah. mean spine, and then there was like a couple four or five issue miniseries that just explored other time frames. But the conceit of it is that he's done his own vampire mythos, which is ultimately like kind of like how bloodlines and lineages from cultures and races are unique to themselves. Like so too, like in the land that you live, vampirism is expressed differently. So like American vampires are different than like British vampires. Or He creates this like really rich, interesting vampire mythos and then explores it throughout the history of America. And they all take place at different times. Mm -hmm. And that like... I learned more interesting things about American history and like the construction of the Hoover Dam and the history of Las Vegas through reading that book than I would have ever <laughs> thought that I would have. So it's, it's a great book. Uh, I am super excited to read this one. I haven't, but like people should, I hope it's on people's radar. Yeah. I would, I would give that one an eight. I would give adventure man a seven and a half give spy Island also a seven and a half. I would maybe give black widow an eight. It's really good. I wish it didn't have a legacy number printed on it because that's dumb. But the the story is really good. Like she doesn't know who she is and and who's doing the art? It's uh, Elena Casagrande. Huh. I'm not familiar with that. How's the art? The, the art's good. It's it's got kind of uh, 
it's hard to show you guys, but it's got mm. kind of like a David Aha sort of Chris Samney style to it. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I like the art. I like the story. You know, it's it's nothing groundbreaking, but I really like the way it's unfolding. And bang, I'll give that a seven. It's still still really solid. Um, also, I need to tell you guys something. Please do. I learned something. Before we move on to the other Chris Samney thing, I set us up for a perfect segue, and now I'm going to interrupt that. Oh, but I'm going to actually have a pit stop before we even go to that one with you. Okay. And, okay. and I had a little thing to <clears> okay, add good. Black Widow. So. Guri Hiru is two people. No way. Yeah. What? Who? What? Guri Hiru. Interesting. The artist on Superman Smashes the Clan. And oh. Spider-Man and, and Venom. Yeah. The, and, and like four of the Avatar books. Yeah. And, like just and all those great all ages comics. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us more. That's all I know. I was listening oh, to a Gene Lu and Yang interview and he was talking about Guru Hiru and, and calling them they. And the interviewer was, was like, oh, that's right. Because that's two people, right? Which I don't even know how that works. Like they Interesting. have a really consistent art style. Maybe it's pencils and inks. Maybe it's just collaborative left hand, right hand. I, I wash you dry. Gabriel Ball and Fabio Moon could get away with it. You could just sort of yeah. say moons Hello, and I wouldn't My know. name is Bamoon. Exactly. Um, Roman, do your thing about Black Widow before I go to my thing. Oh, I was just going to mention there's also a one of those Marvel facsimile reprints this week that's reprinting a Marvel fanfare issue with beautiful Black Widow art by George Perez um, from, a, I think, a two-part story they had back then mm. in the 80s. Marvel fanfare. He was flipping so if, through old yeah. George Perez art so you, on Tuesday. So if you need more, yeah, if you need more Black Widow, there's there's lots of Black Widow this week. Django, what? Roman, yeah. Did you guys both read? We only find them when they're dead too. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Let's talk about it, Django. You you said you had thoughts about it, and <laughs> like we didn't introduce it, but let, let's let's cover that. So Al Ewing, Simone DeMio. This kind of sets our heroes up to go where they're not supposed to go. So like they find out that the lady who has been kind of on their case and watching them uh, for some reason isn't on the flight logs that day. And so they decide that today's the day that they're going to make their big break. And it kind of gives us history of the crew, which I really appreciated because we didn't have much context for the relationships in the first issue. And, uh, and it gives us a little bit of action where they escape and start going through uh, like warp space or hyperspace or something and they're being followed. Um, I, I think that I've, I liked the art in this issue better than the first issue. It felt almost like they, they zoomed out just, just enough to, to give you a better sense of place on every page. I liked filling in the background with the, like the crew. Um, I didn't like the art more. I I have a really hard time with the art. It's it's a lot of like, yeah. I still feel like it's really zoomed in, but it's like it's weirdly cool looking. But it's just like it's very overwhelming for me, and I I didn't, mm -hmm. I, I didn't like trying to follow it. It was it was a lot of work. To, I, I felt like it was for me the epitome of the like. The, the way that you talk about cosmic things and like not being yeah. able to place and punch things. I was like, this is like so space and size. Like I just never felt like I could ever, I still feel like I don't ever know where I am in any given moment of like people's relationship with one another. 
I would like different colors, I think, would help that, out a lot. It's, it's, it's a little too dark. Roman, what do you think? Yeah, um, I didn't like this issue as well as the first one. And because of the... Well, because of the art, it, and it's a lot darker, this issue. And I realized just now that the first issue gave me um, the dead celestial body and the, the mining that piece of it. That gave me a focal point for the issue. Mm-hmm. And this issue, I didn't have a focal point. Like a physical space that they were at yeah. at a time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Plus it also, and maybe I just read it too fast or something, but it also, I found it confusing the... Uh, time jumps forward and back the flashbacks because sometimes yeah. they're by years and, and yeah. it was so tinyly printed at the top i didn't notice it a lot of the times oh i didn't even notice it in, in any of them yeah because <laughs> yeah, like it, it it's jumping between present day one year ago and then present day and like many years ago the year yeah. was 2366 and yeah. that's, if your year doesn't have a 19 or a 20 as the first two numbers, I just don't even see it. But then there's like 2333 is in there or something like 30 or okay. many years. Yeah, it really jumps around. And that kind yeah. of annoys me just because I start, it's getting used too much, I think. And I, I guess I feel like if it's not a Doctor Who story or a time travel specific story, don't do that. <laughs> no flashbacks. Yeah. Or not 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 like flashback, flash forward, flashback, present day, flash forward, flashback. <laughs> this it has a feeling of like what I realize while reading is like this is hard sci-fi. This is like alluing yeah. hard sci-fi. This is like a social structure, a culture, a political ecosystem, like a currency, everything set up. It's hard sci-fi. And I think that if you are doing I think that that's a huge appeal to a lot of people. I love hard sci-fi, but it does pro- like require a slightly different headspace to get into. It's it's a little bit more like that Hickman-esque stuff of like you have to kind of want to be reading a D and D manual. Like you, for me, like mm-hmm. the, you kind of have to want to piece this culture and science structure together. And I'm down to do that, but I think the art makes it enough work for me that I don't know how long I'll be able to get through it. Yeah, yeah, I have the same type of thing where, yeah, I can be down for that. Like, like Far Sector does kind of, that's also kind of hard sci-fi. For sure. But I can follow the art in it and I'm never confused by it. What do you guys give it? Seven. Oh, I'll give it a six. I would go with Django. I'll go seven. Like, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty good. I've never had, I, I like, I appreciate it for, I've never had that real issue with the comic before. I've never been like, it, it required me to develop a new way of thinking about like, well, what, what is going on and why is it a little bit difficult for me? I've never just felt like things were like a little too close yeah. and I, and that I didn't have my grounding. So like, yeah. I don't know. I appreciate it for giving me that insight into my reading experience. Yeah. Well, Roman. Yeah. And I'll definitely keep reading it. Cause I'm curious. Guys, I have to talk about my gooey duck of the week. It's Firepower number seven. I mean, number Ooh. four. Um, by I thought it was three. Robert Cook. Kirk. Yeah, it's, it's number four, though. Okay. One was the first one. Two was the silent fight. Three was him training the kids. And then four was this one. And this is like the fucking best, you guys. I loved it so much. I don't have it here with me because we don't have many of them at the shop, so I brought it back. And it is 
I haven't read the original graphic novel yet. It's our book club book. So I'm waiting to read it until like right before the conversation about that on the book club. So it'll be fresh <laughs> in my mind, but I'm really excited too, because this issue largely dealt with our main character who's married now and him sort of thinking about the woman from the place where he was trained in that original series. And I think that she died and it's mostly an exploration of his guilt about feeling a connection to her and his wife's guilt about feeling bad that he still cares about her. And then them trying to work on their relationship around this guilt. And I'm sure that's not at all surprised to the two of you, why that would be a thing I would be super (laughs) into in a comic book, but it, it just like illustrated it beautifully. And then like through the process, process of conversation, you know, where Mark, which is not his name, but I think that's the character in Invincible and they're all just the same. It feels like um, where he, where Mark gets to, um, you know, just like a Robert Kirkman family character guy, you know, just like he's got dark hair he's a white guy and he's got a family and he's, kind of a superhero you know like it's it's like invincible but a different genre basically um you know it's like he's a, a you know a kung fu dude fit, fitting into normal life instead of a superhero dude fitting into normal life his name's not fire i think it's mark but yeah what did you think of it roman I, I really liked it too and yeah that conversation that him and his wife have in the restaurant that was great. Um, it, it was very, it was very mature. It's not the kind of conversation we've had before. I feel like in a except maybe an invincible. Um, yeah. in, but in most, like in a Marvel comic, I don't, I can't think of any conversations like that. Cause it was very, very multi-layered and his wife, you know, she felt guilty for feeling, you know, resentment about his first love who died tragically in this, in this intense martial arts school. And I, I think it's were... going to turn out that she's not dead. I hope she's not dead. I think it's going to I, I, I bet out. that'll turn out to, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I'm so excited about it. Oh, Django just went and got the bottle of the envious whiskey, the log of Ulan. Oh, I can mm. tell. I know that shit. It um, is dangerously low. Oh, that's sad. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think she's going to come back and I can't fucking wait because I'm excited for that. But just the way that like that conversation of like, yeah, you know, she like is that time in my life is perfect because it's like an island, you know, it's like I, it's just the tip of an iceberg. But you and I have like, you know, gone to the hospital for our kids. We've had to like buy a car. We've had to, you know, just do all of the shit that is normal, that is not phenomenal and doesn't seem like magical stuff. And it's actually what makes things magical, but it's not just like the way that he gets to that spot with it, like was really poignant to me. And I, it was like, you know, some days you need to hear that more than others. And I read that later at night. I was like, I guess I'm going to stay up and read. I read two comics the first day of having comics. Um, Cause we work hard and long on those days and it was late. And I read that in deceased. And I was just like, I am so glad I stayed <laughs> up and read that comic tonight. It was just so good. It is what I love about comics firepower is so good it's so good everyone it's like it's what i loved about invincible and i just i really do feel like he was like i'm kind of bored of invincible i'm just gonna do something else but like i hope he does it for 100 issues it's awesome it really is oh go ahead oh sorry uh and and the and 
I don't know if they're going to do this every issue, but the last few issues, there's been Kirkman and, and Samney mm-hmm. in the back, just a conversation for like two pages of text. And it's really interesting. It's, it's funny, but it's also really interesting. Samney talking about his, his art process and things he was trying to do that some you notice and some I didn't notice and, and just their collaboration and the things they were going for and the things they were originally maybe going to do and then decided to pull back from it. It's really interesting. It's it's one of my favorite, favorite books coming out right now. So that was my 10 of the week. It was exactly what I needed at exactly the time. And I oh. didn't even know it. Sweet. Cool. Gooey, dewy. And what was your score, Roman? Oh, uh, <clears throat> I was so excited about yours. Because I think I yeah. did the same thing. I think I read that and deceased in the set, the first two books I read. Um, I'll, I'll give it a nine, not a half. Nice. And because DC is fucking with our time schedule and our time frames <laughs> and understanding of anything, Django read two of next week's DC books before reading Deceased, which hadn't realized it had come in because they come in on different days. So we're not going to talk about that because it's awesome. And we'll talk about it after you've read it, Django. Dude, I read like 11 comics after Rorschach came in before I read Rorschach because I didn't like I wanted to to keep everything in order as many curveballs as DC's thrown us I wanted to try to keep my brain straight and so I had to reward myself with that Rorschach book I tried to read as many of this week's books as I could before reading Rorschach which we have and we read now I didn't finish it because I was like I gotta read this to be able to like talk about it a little bit with you guys and I was like wait this is exactly the book that I shouldn't be rushing through reading and I'm uh, gonna read it a second time for next yeah. week I think um and it yeah yeah so let's just do a really quick spot on rorschach so it's tom king and jorge fornes and who's coloring it i don't have one in front of me dave stewart of course it's dave stewart it's good (laughs) um and this was an amazing issue i really really enjoyed it um it is i like that they set it up as a murder mystery which at its core that's what the beginning of watchman was you know it was a whodunit and that carries through all the way almost to the end um and so i appreciate that part of the structure um also it's from context clues and justin and i had a conversation about this today i think that it's set after the show which is super interesting to me um, and I think that they've said that it's not a sequel to the show, but it feels like it could be, um, you know, a, a, a very similar timeline to the TV show. Wow. I didn't realize it was after the show. That's what I thought too, but there's no bleak reference to something or a location where things happen in the show, which I got to the part that, where they reference that, Oklahoma. Yeah. So I think that it's happening after the show on, on, in, in that universe or a similar universe. Well, I think that it overtly says the year in here. And I think that the yeah. TV show says the year and it's not 2021 yet. Right, right. So, yeah, that, um, would, that would all track. But the art, the storytelling and the, the whole thing is great. Like if, if anybody's worried about not liking it, um, I, I think you can, other than being salty that Alan Moore's creation is getting used somewhere else, I think there's no reason not to super dig this book so far. Yeah, I didn't finish it because I realized that I was reading it 
to try and quickly be able to talk about it with you guys. And that is not the space that this book deserved at all. Mm-hmm. And so I just, like, I have, like, that's, I, I try not to read a thing if I don't have the space to give it, to appreciate it. And I don't have the same relationship with Watchmen that you guys do. And I, like, I just think that the caliber, caliber of this book is demands that i'm gonna it's gonna be a little bit more work for me to like get into the space to i think really appreciate it because it's very clearly two people that are my favorite creators um around a book i don't know as much about than as most people and uh yeah yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a workbook for sure in the same way that like graham morrison or jonathan Hagman books are workbooks well i'm excited to talk about it in depth with everybody next it is so clearly worth getting it is so clearly worth reading it it's it's beautiful to look at. And those first two pages, well, the first single page and then it's a, a double page double right page after that spread. are gorgeous. So, yeah. And there's a, there's a scene where they're breaking down action and it, everything is just so clear. He's just such a good artist. Yeah. Yeah. And I did like that in the final page or the, the back little interview of this has like a DC ad, but it's an interview with Jorge Fornes and it's like mm-hmm. three questions. And I was like, Oh sweet. Like he, is answering questions i don't have any insight into who this guy is at all so i did read that and like that well do we have anything else or should we just move on to the email portion of our show is there an email portion i wasn't budgeting time that's gonna okay we got it there's no questions it's just suggestions okay um this is from dino i saw that wow i haven't read it yet but i saw it hello the double f name more backwards and raw daddy that's us, guys. Nice. That's us. Uh, how are you guys doing? Well, I guess I was wrong. There is a question. I'm pretty good. How are you, Dino? Dino, That's I don't great. mean to cut you off. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good, too. Uh, so, I almost have my Dr. Nemesis costume ready for Halloween. It doubles as everyday wear for the pandemic. I love the new game, Fots Andrew. <laughs> I love the new game, Fots Andrew, co-created with Jeff. And you asked for name ideas. We so did. here goes. And we've gotten s- several. Yeah? yeah? Well, here are Dino's. Four scores and seven podcasts ago. Okay. The calm before the score. Okay. I drank too much Murphy's apple juice to remember. Are you kids spoiling in there? <laughs> <laughs> Whose score is it anyway? I like that. WWPS. What would Phil score? Oh, that's just a generally good question. And the comings and goings of our scores. Feel free to pass on all of them. Thanks for keeping up with the show. Chapino. Dude, I Dino miss him Chapino. so bad. I know. I had a long text conversation with him the other day. It was great. Dino, we miss you. You're somebody that I used to see every single Wednesday yeah. and I have not seen in over six months. And that is a really, really big bummer. So I miss you and hope you're doing well. You know, I told my brother the other day that this is probably the longest I've spent not going to New Orleans in years. And then a couple of days later, somebody pointed out that it's only been like six months since mm-hmm. we went into lockdown and my brain exploded. Does it feel like longer than that to you? It feels like a hundred fucking years, man. Really? It feels like wow. less than, it feels like two months, two or three months to me. Yeah. It feels like maybe four months to me. <laughs> I feel like there was just that golden period for the first month that was like the most beautiful time of my entire life. And I didn't cherish it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Nathan Butcher said, Papcast Absolute Value Edition. 
or Papcast HC Absolute Value Edition. And I like that because I like Absolute Editions. And we, we're using the absolute value of the uh, mm-hmm. how many numbers off you are. So I thought that was pretty good. So Nathan, I said, ultimately, Andrew has to make the final call, though. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a FOTS acronym that it could use. God, I love FOTS. Um, all right, boys, girls, friends, everyone. We what? We're done. We did it. We're here. We're, it's done. Oh, are we over? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, oh, I got, man. I got three other books I can recommend. All right, do a real quick thing. You got thirty do them seconds. Backwards, this is, this, when we were talking about buckshots earlier, this is you being like, "Yeah, I've got a buckshot." <laughs> I'm not going to do a real buckshot though. I'm just going to recommend three books. Okay. Pen- Penultiman, uh, number one from uh, well, Ahoy, Ahoy Comics. Comics. Yeah, that was that was really good. I would give it a eight. Holy shit. I love this segment. Thor, num- <laughs> Thor number eight, which of course is always amazing. Donnie Cates and Aaron Cooter. Aaron Cooter's art in this oh. issue specifically is just gorgeous. Oh. Um, and it had a some really sweet, just like Thor, the magic of Thor moments. Cooter, that's the, I, that's I missed, the Dukes of Hazard guy. I hardly right? even know. Yeah. Cooter, um, get over here. <laughs> I missed, I haven't read issue number seven yet. Um, but I love Cooter's art and I like this series. I don't still know why I haven't read seven yet. Yeah. Oh, it's it's uh, such a great series. And, you know, I really liked the, the wonder woman by Perez reprint issue. Number one from 1987, just, he's one of my favorite all time comic book artists and it's mythology and his run heavily was rooted in, in Greek Amazonian mythology. Great Mm -hmm. stuff. Nice. Dude, we got to talk about this next issue of Thor where we see Donald Blake. I was just talking about Donald yeah. Blake to Django this week. Yeah. Like, what happened to Donald Blake? Yeah. I don't even remember, but he's coming back. I think he murdered his wife and went to jail on the Hollywood. I think they just need to stop Boulevard. talking about him. Like, we're clearly not doing a thing where Thor has an alter ego. We just need to stop talking about it and pretend it didn't happen. Well, I could talk about the uh, Hickman X-Men stuff some more. Um, I'm liking it, guy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we I don't go. want to recommend anything. I'm going to read Marauders because because of what you said, Jeff. You're still I think wearing that gloves. You should. I think that you should. I am. I have to wear. As somebody already started joking on Will, William Elmer started joking on Facebook an hour ago. I can't come near this issue of Rorschach without wearing gloves because it's all black. Well, I, I got nothing else except to to tell everybody to remember that the Dukes of Hazard had one character named Cooter and one character named Anus. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you could have started that at the beginning of the episode and it would have went way more. I wish can, I had. Can can you do can you do Anus's laugh? Can you how did he do that? He had a really distinctive laugh. I don't remember. It's been a long time. This yeah, is, I was yeah. pretty yeah. sure that the And person... <laughs> this was a perfectly accessible podcast 197. And you would be shocked to hear that this is a huge amount of my life is listening to two <laughs> much older men reference things that I don't know at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think it was more maybe a little raspy or something. I don't know. I used to think that the Duke boys probably drove a mile a minute. That was pretty fast in my head. And then one day I found out that that's only sixty miles an hour, and I thought that's boring. (laughs) (laughs) Them old podcast, them old podcast boys just ain't driving as fast as they could down that old gully. Do you remember this episode started as the perfectly sophisticated podcast? That's where we started, and this is where we're ending. (laughs) We ended with Cooter's Venus. (laughs) 